following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, we're looking this morning at Matthew chapter 13. Uh, last uh, of a section of parables that we've been walking through as Jesus has been explaining the parables of the kingdom and our title this morning is Hidden Treasure, a fun, fun parable about hidden treasure. We'll talk about it in a minute, understanding what has true worth. But first let's read um, Matthew 13, starting in verse 44, down through verse 52. 13, 44 through 52. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, the men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Uh, treasures are fun things, and um, buried treasures, hidden treasures, have captured people's imaginations for uh, thousands of years, back to the time of Jesus and before. And uh, we even in our modern times have you know fun movies about hidden treasures like uh, Indiana Jones or Pirates of the Caribbean, maybe others. Uh, where it's fun to think about uh, hidden treasure. Uh, but not only in, in fantasy, but actually in, in real life, um, there are real treasures that are out there to be found. How many of you have ever heard of Fenn's treasure? Have you heard of Fenn's treasure? Really? Well, uh, Patrick, see, you see a younger person. Uh, Fenn's treasure, so here's the story of Fenn's treasure. Forrest Fenn was a Vietnam vet, a pilot, who served many successful missions in in the Vietnam War. Uh, And after he retired from the Air Force, he opened an art gallery in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and actually found his own treasure there, because that art gallery uh, netted something like uh, $6 million a year in revenue. So who knew you you could make that much money off art that you didn't even paint? Um, Did very well. Uh, and in 1988, he was diagnosed with cancer uh, that he thought it appeared to be terminal. And so he was contemplating his death. Uh, it inspired him to uh, uh, this plan, this plot, to take and bury a treasure uh, somewhere up in the mountains, uh, out in a hidden outdoor place, with the idea of inspiring people to go look for it. Uh, and so uh, he actually recovered from the cancer and didn't die. But he went away ahead with his plan to uh, get this treasure. So he got a, a bronze box, and he filled it with a couple million dollars worth of treasures, old coins and uh, jewels and all kinds of expensive things, estimated value around $2 million. Uh, 
And then he wrote a book called The Thrill of the Chase, a, a memoir, a collection of short stories from his life. And in the book, he put clues to the location of the treasure. Uh, so he made a second treasure selling the book, apparently. <laughs> Smart guy, right? Um, well, uh, the book was published in, in 2010. And so for the last 10 years, people have been uh, hunting this treasure. Thousands of people have been hunting this treasure. And uh, he told people that it was in the mountains somewhere north of Santa Fe. And there's a, if you know anything about U.S. geography, there's a lot of north mountains north of Santa Fe, like several states, right? Uh, so pretty big, millions of, acre, millions of square miles of territory where this could be. Uh, but he's got the book with, with um, clues, and he actually wrote a poem that gave nine very specific clues to the location of this. And thousands of people over the last ten years have been chasing this treasure. In fact, they know of at least five people who died while looking for this treasure. Um, well, uh, how many of you want to go look for it? Anybody excited? Anybody want to go buy the book? Don't waste your money. Because this last June, just you're two months too late. This last June, somebody found it. Yeah, found after 10 years, we found it. Uh, fascinating story. And uh, wouldn't you love to just stumble across some hidden treasure? I mean, just imagine, hopefully the guy who found it was actually looking for it. How tragic it would be if some guy just stumbled across it. Oh, dude, this is like a box with $2 million in it, right? That, that would really make a lot of people super angry. By the way, if you want to know where it was hidden, it was hidden in somewhere in Wyoming. So, Averill and Kathy, why weren't you out there looking? It was in your backyard. So, um, could really celebrate your 50th wedding anniversary, right? Um, well, Jesus tells a story, and, and it's a story that, that's kind of built on, because back even in Jesus' day, there was this fascination with finding hidden treasure. And uh, maybe kids dreamed of it. Maybe adults hoped that someday they would stumble on it. And so Jesus tells these parables and likens the kingdom to this treasure. And the first one, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And there's actually two, two parables he tells about treasure. Uh, it's interesting, in the first parable, the guy just stumbles across it accidentally. In the second parable, we'll see he's actually searching for it. So the scene, the scenario here is very likely. Jesus doesn't give a lot of details, but we can fill in our, with our imagination, I think, in a, in a fair way, that this guy was probably obviously not the owner of the land that he's working on. So he's probably some kind of hired worker or servant or maybe even a slave. And uh, he's working probably in a, in a, as, as a hired hand on a farm. And so he's out there uh, either plowing or maybe digging a ditch or digging a well. Uh, and that's kind of the scenario. And, and this was actually fairly common back in ancient times. Hidden treasures, like in our day we talk about it, but like really what are the odds of stumbling across a buried treasure? But actually back in Jesus' time, this is very common because they didn't have banks uh, they were not common. You couldn't just put your, your gold and jewelry in a safety deposit box somewhere. And so oftentimes when there was a war or there was a threat of an invasion and people wanted to uh, keep their treasure safe, they would go out in the backyard or in a field somewhere uh, secret and they would bury it. Uh, and so it was pretty common that there would be these treasures out buried around and uh, maybe the person died or maybe they were captured. And so maybe... Uh, really hundreds. I mean, people lived in, in this region for thousands of years before Jesus came along. 
So it was very likely that there were treasures out there that had been buried and undiscovered for hundreds or thousands of years. And so there was some real hope. I mean, people really did have this hope that one day I'm out digging and poof, this could happen, right? So there was some excitement about it. Um, And so this man is digging and chunk, he hears something and uh, probably not a box. It could have been a wooden box or maybe more likely a clay pot would have survived better underground. He hears a pot break or hears a chunk. He starts digging and he unearths this large base or pot full of gold coins and jewelry. Uh, imagine if you found that, right? Like this is like happy birthday. Big, big, big deal. Like, yay, well, look at this treasure. Only there's a problem. He doesn't actually own the field. And therefore, he doesn't technically own the treasure. Now, he could just take it. Uh, his boss would never know, right? He could just smuggle it off. But he's a man of more integrity than that. So, But not so much integrity that he tells his boss, <laughs> right? There are limits. Um, and and so, he, so he buries it again. And he uh, goes out and he sells everything he has to purchase this field so that he can be the rightful owner of this treasure. If he's a hired hand or a slave, uh, he, he doesn't have a lot, right? So what he has to sell in order to gain this treasure is an easy trade. In fact, it says here that uh, in his joy, or out of his joy, he goes and sells. Like he's not thinking, oh, what a drag. I'm going to have to sell everything I own to get this buried treasure worth millions of dollars. Should I do that? Right? No, he doesn't have to think about this. Right? He's, he's joyful. He's excited because he is going to get this amazing treasure that's vastly worth vastly more than the small things he has to sell to buy the field. Uh, it is a joy for him to do this. And so it is no sacrifice for him to give up all that he has in order to gain a treasure worth vastly more. Uh, and, and so the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like that. The kingdom of God is like that. It is a treasure of such incredible worth and value that you would gladly pay or you should gladly pay any cost and give up everything, anything and everything, in order to gain such a treasure. Uh, It wouldn't be a duty or an obligation. It would be a joy to have access, to obtain this priceless treasure. Because what is gained is so much greater than what is lost. Jesus tells another parable, similar, really the same point. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Uh, this is a guy who made his living going around, uh, plying the trade routes, traveling all over, uh, probably mostly by sea. And his specialty was pearls. Now, of course, even in our day, pearls are fairly valuable. Uh, but in our day, we, we've learned the science and technology of cultivating pearls, so they're a lot more common. But in Jesus' day, they, they hadn't figured that out yet. And so... Uh, pearls were, were, were purely natural, and finding them was extremely difficult, and a pearl was, was uh, any pearl was actually quite rare. So this is probably a man of some means, and, and he knew what he was looking for, right? He's looking for pearls that would be of value, and this is how he traded, how he made his living. Um, and it says that one day he finds uh, an ex- a pearl of, of great value, Right? He finds, like, the treasure of treasures. He finds a pearl that is not like anything he has ever seen. Maybe it was something like a pearl that was found in the Philippines uh, a few years back. A, a fisherman, a Filipino fisherman, uh, 
found a pearl that was 26 inches long. It weighed 75 pounds. You know what it's worth? The estimate it's worth is over $100 million. I bet he's not fishing anymore. Uh, at least not out of a little, like, like he's probably fishing out of a, a pretty nice yacht now, right? Good day for him. We don't know what, was, uh, what made this uh, pearl so valuable, if it was its size or its beauty, uh, its perfection. But what's interesting is that this guy, he knew about pearls. He was searching for pearls. And when he saw this pearl, whatever it was that made it so valuable, he knew, because of his experience with pearls, he knew it was priceless. Right? He knew that you would never search in the whole rest of his life. He would never find a pearl like this one. This pearl was extraordinary. Extraordinary. Uh, and he knew that because of his experience in dealing with pearls. He knew, he knew about pearls. And, and this pearl was so amazing that it made every other pearl he owned look like a common pebble, <laughs> common rock. Right? And so he likewise sells anything and everything. He liquidates his whole inventory of pearls and whatever else he owned uh, to get this pearl because this pearl was so extraordinary. He had to have it. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. But, but uh, unlike the first man, this man doesn't simply stumble upon it. He was searching for it. And when he found it, he knew that he had found something very special. Uh, and so likewise, it was a joy for him to obtain and have in his possession a treasure like this. Um, so so uh, when we think about these two parables, we may think the point is this. It, it is no sacrifice to give up all that one has in order to gain a treasure worth vastly more, that being the kingdom. Um, and if you read all the commentaries, they'll all tell you that. <laughs> and certainly it is, it is a point of the parable that the kingdom of God is of such value that, um, that we'd be foolish not to give up anything and everything to, to get hold of the treasure of the kingdom. Um, and, and certainly... You can make that application. But I do not think that is actually the main point of the parable. And I think to really get the main point, we need to see this parable in its context of all the parables that Jesus has been talking about. Because when we go back and we look at each of them, each of them is making a very similar point in a very similar context. Uh, first, there was the parable of the sower and the seed, right? Where he went out and there was four kinds of soil. Uh, and... Uh, and only the fourth kind, only the last one, actually, did the seed multiply and bear fruit, right? produce a harvest. Uh, then there was the parable of the weeds and the wheat, that they are sowed, uh, the, the man went out and sowed wheat, and an enemy came and sowed weeds on top of it. Uh, and uh, the, the patient and the wise landowner waited until the harvest, and then he harvested it, and he sorted out. He separated the weeds from the wheat, and he burned the weeds, but he kept the wheat. And then there was the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Small mustard seed, insignificant, seemingly easy to overlook. I'm talking about the nature of the kingdom as something that started small and insignificant. It wasn't spectacular like people had imagined it would be. When Jesus came, it was, it was something that it was hidden. It was something that you had to have eyes to see or you would miss it. And similar meaning in the parable of the leaven and the bread. Uh, then between these parables, there's a couple of short commentaries, just to review a little bit. Uh, and the commentary is that, um, why is it if the kingdom is so valuable, 
if the kingdom of God has come, if the Israelites have been searching and looking for the kingdom for so long, then the question is, why is Jesus proclaiming the kingdom and clearly proving himself to be the Messiah, being treated with such indifference by so many people? Why is it so many people were just actually turning away from Jesus, rejecting his message? If the, message, if the kingdom was what it, uh, what it was, how could so many people be so careless about it? And, and Jesus and Matthew give this, this commentary that only those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to perceive and understand will see the kingdom, right? Matthew 13, 14. Uh, it, we see that it's a matter of understanding. And in each of these parables, there are those who get the kingdom, who understand what Jesus is saying, and they enter it. They receive it. But those who do not understand uh, do not receive the kingdom. They are the bad soil. They are the weeds, right? They are the ones who overlook the mustard seed and ignore it. Matthew thirteen fourteen. Indeed, uh, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is filled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. That's our word, understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. And he goes on and he says, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Uh, in the explanation of the parable of the sower and the soil, Jesus says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And then at the end, describing the good soil, he says, As the was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Right, so throughout this uh, discourse on parables, there's this theme developing about understanding. Yes, the kingdom has come, and it is coming with power, and it is coming with all the glory and reality that was described in the Old Testament. Uh, but it's not coming like they thought. It's going to come over a period of, of an age, an era, and Jesus is introducing the kingdom, but its final consummation, its final fulfillment will not be till the end of the age. But nonetheless, the kingdom is here. And it is offered, it is available to those who will receive it. But the, the condition, the thing that you must have, if you are going to un- receive the kingdom, you must have what? Understanding. You need to understand what Jesus is teaching. You need to understand what the Old Testament prophets predicted and spoke about. Uh, and, and Jesus is making the point that only those who understand the kingdom will will receive it and enter it. So how do we apply this to these two parables? Well, the man who stumbled upon the treasure in the field was willing to sell all he had because he understood that what he had was a treasure. Right? He, he, he understood the great value of what he had found. Imagine uh, uh, if, he, if he had thought it was a scam. Right? Imagine he uncovers his base and he breaks it open and all these coins, and he goes, oh, this is just kids' play money. It's just Monopoly money. It's just cheap junk. It doesn't have any real value. And he just buries it and goes about his business, right? He only, he only was willing to sacrifice anything and everything because he understood it was a treasure of great value. 
vastly more valuable than what he, what he owned. Um, what if the pearl merchant really knew nothing about pearls? What if this merchant's expertise was baseball cards? <laughs> you know, those Pharisee, you know, Pharisee cards or something. Pharisee trading cards, right? And he sees this pearl at a garage sale and he's like, eh, I don't know. Just a rock. Just a, a pearl. I don't get excited about pearl. Now, if it was a Pharisee card, you know, Barnabas bar Judah or whatever, I'd pay for that. Uh, no, no, he knew. He had understanding. He had knowledge of why this was so valuable and priceless. A treasure can only be a treasure if we know its worth, right? If we know what it is we possess. I had this experience. Uh, and in fact, if you pull up, there's a picture on the next slide, can you put up the, pic- the picture? Uh, many years ago, I worked at a Bible camp in Colorado, and hanging on the wall was this picture, a print of this picture, in one of the dorms uh, of the kids' kids sleeping barracks. Um, and uh, I walked by this painting, I, I don't even know how many times. And you have to know something about Bible camps in America. Uh, like, if you have trash and junk that you want to just take to the dump, but you know it's going to cost you if you take it to the dump. What you do is you call up the local camp instead. Hey, I've got some stuff. So I've got some really nice stuff. We would like to donate, right? And so people would bring us all kinds of junk. And so most of stuff around camps is stuff that really was on its way to the dump, but the camp was was, was closer, easier, right? And so you know you see stuff like this, like yeah, yard sale special. Um, Probably somebody bought it at Walmart for $3, and they got tired of it, and they threw it away, and they gave it to camp, right? Well, one day this lady, who was actually an art dealer, uh, was there as a counselor uh, with one of our camps, and she saw that picture, and her jaw just dropped. And she says, do you know what that is? I said, yeah, it's like Walmart special yard sale. She says, no, that is an original print of a Thomas Moran painting. It's over 100 years old. It's worth thousands of dollars. It's like, nah, no, really. Can I have it? Can I buy this painting? And she, she did. She bought it um, and probably resold it for three times what she paid for it. Right? We had no idea that we were walking by every day this treasure because we did not know what we had. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. Like, the kingdom is only a treasure if you get it, if you know what a priceless, incredible prize it is. Right? That, that it's a treasure so great you, would, you wouldn't even think twice about giving up anything and everything to have it joyfully because it is such an extraordinary treasure. Right? But that's only going to work for people who get it, who really understand the nature and value and worth of the kingdom. And as Jesus is saying we can buy our way into the kingdom, well, certainly not, right? The kingdom is given, offered as a free gift through Jesus' work on the cross. Right? He's opened up and made it possible for us to enter into his kingdom. Uh, but, but we really need to understand a little bit about the nature of the kingdom to get why it's valuable and why it's also costly. God's grace is a free gift, and we can't buy it, we can't earn it. But here's the problem. So too often we think in terms only of salvation. Right? We think the gospel is all about salvation, that is, the gospel is about dealing with our sin problem, getting saved. Right? Now, if you've been following us through the book of Matthew so far, and if you've read through the rest of the book of Matthew, 
How much does Jesus talk about getting saved? Actually, very little. In fact, it drives some people crazy. Like, Jesus, you're preaching the gospel. Why don't you talk about getting saved? Like, people are not going to get saved because you didn't tell them, right? Jesus doesn't talk about getting saved. Because the gospel is not just a sin management gospel. That does that. Okay, I don't want to say that the gospel does not deal with our sin, and it's not an important reason why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died to take our sin away, to cleanse us and to give us forgiveness and to give us a new, clean soul and heart and life so we could be holy and blameless before him. But Jesus is not preaching a gospel of sin management. That is not the end or extent of his message. He is preaching what? A gospel of the kingdom. A gospel of the kingdom. So what is the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation? Well, the kingdom is so much more than just sin management. The kingdom is ultimately a place that is about, it's not a place, it is a rule of Christ. It is the rule of the king. Okay, now, of course, it is, a, it is a domain as well. Jesus exercises domain over those who he, he has rule over. But first and foremost, the kingdom is about uh, Jesus' reign, his rule over our heart and life. To come into the kingdom means to make Jesus ruler and king over our life. Not just to have sin dealt with. Right? Now in order for him to be that king and for us to be his servants, we have to be forgiven. We have to have his blood wash away our sin and make us holy. But uh, what he proclaims is so much more than just that. That's just the, the beginning. But the outworkings of, the work on, of his work on the cross extend to transforming our life so that we can live under his rule and authority, so that we can live out the principles and values of the kingdom, which is not just getting rid of sin, but it's living righteously. It's doing his will. It's submitting to God's plan and purpose. It's a life following Jesus as a fully committed disciple. And Jesus has already talked about how demanding and costly it is to be a true follower of Christ. He has said that um, if you are, are a disciple, you will be persecuted. That's a cost, right? Uh, that's something we have to weigh out. Uh, he says, whoever does not deny himself and take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And if you're not a disciple, you're not in the kingdom. The kingdom is made up of disciples who are, have invited Christ to be ruler and Lord over their life and to come into his program as a follower, living out his purpose and plan and program in our life. So it is costly. Uh, and we know that uh, for some of us, receiving Christ meant that family members rejected us or just thought we were crazy, right? Wrote us off as insane. Um, you may lose your job because of your stand for Christ. Uh, friends may make fun of you or just be done with you. Uh, in some countries, you, you could go to prison or you could even be executed because you named the name of Jesus. Um, always, uh, but always, whether it's to that extreme or not, always you will be required and are required to lay down your selfish ambitions and your own goals if you will be in the kingdom. Right? You cannot be in God's kingdom and in your own kingdom. Right? Your life can only have one king. It's either me or it's Jesus. Right? And so it's costly. Not in terms of buying it or earning it, 
But in terms of living it, uh, it, it requires uh, a lot. Uh, and in the end, it may require anything and everything. Uh, so the question is, who would do that, right? Who would, who would make such sacrifice uh, for the kingdom of God? Well, these parables make it easy, right? Who would do that are the people who understand the incredible treasure they're getting when they gain the kingdom, right? when they become members and participants in this kingdom, right? So then Jesus goes to another parable that seems a little off, but when we understand it in relationship to the preceding parables, it, it, it fits perfectly. It's actually a repeat of everything he said so far. The next parable, uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. It's a, it's a parable of a dragnet, and, and uh, they would fish this way, people still do at times, where they would have a boat with a net stretched stretch between it, two boats, one net stretched between, and they would, they would uh, go along uh, through the, the sea or the, the lake, and it would have heavy weights on the bottom, and it was like a big, a big net that would just catch everything in its path, everything. Right? And uh, the result of this was when they would get it, when it was full, they would take it to the shore. Uh, it caught everything, even stuff they didn't want. So the fishermen would have to sit down on the shore, and they would have to sort out the bad fish that were inedible or that they didn't like or didn't want uh, from the good fish that they would keep. And Jesus applies it this way. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. And the evil he will, they will throw into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, Jesus makes a point here. And a lot of people might be thinking, well, okay, so I miss out on God's treasure that's okay because I have my own treasures and they're good enough, right? Like, uh, so, so we missed out on the kingdom. That's a little unfortunate, but it's okay because I've still got my treasure. Uh, I've actually had uh, people tell me this, people who are not Christians, who I shared Christ with, who would say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to become a Christian and I know I'm going to go and burn in hell, but that's okay, I'll be there with all my buddies and we're just going to have a good time, Right? And Jesus says, no, right? You will go to hell. You will come under God's judgment. But you will lose every treasure, right? It's not an option of of picking, well, my treasures, which I'm going to hang on to versus God's treasures, that might be a little better. No. The option Jesus lays out is treasure or no treasure. Treasure in the kingdom or the loss of every treasure, everything that you ever held of value. There is no middle ground. You're either in the kingdom or at the end, when uh, the end of the age when judgment comes, you will fall in judgment and you will be removed from the righteous and cast into the fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? Um, so why would, you not, <laughs> why would you not accept the treasure that is offered, the treasure of life? Um, finally, he ends with one last actual parable. It doesn't look like a parable, but it actually is. Uh, and he says to probably his disciples, um, Matthew's not real, he doesn't give us a lot of detail on who Jesus is talking to, but it appears that now he's away from the crowd, he's back in the private room, and he's speaking to his disciples. Uh, and he says to them, Have you understood, verse 51, have you understood all these things? There's that word again. 
Have you understood? Do you get it? Right? Do you get it? And of course, the disciples did get it. They did understand. Not because of their own wisdom, not because of their own intelligence, but because they had gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, we don't get this. Can you explain it? And Jesus had explained to them. He had given them the insight and wisdom they needed to unlock the truth. And so they were beginning to understand. They probably didn't understand completely, but they were beginning to grow in understanding of the nature of the kingdom and what it was about. And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Um, do you understand, right? Do we understand the nature of the kingdom, right? Do we, do we get the kingdom? Well, the, we may say yes, and the, soon the disciples said yes. Um, uh, if you don't, there's good news. If you could say, yeah, I don't get this, there's good news. All you have to do is go to Jesus. Pray to Jesus, say, Jesus, I don't get it. But I want to know. And he has promised he will give uh, the Spirit who will give you understanding. But most of us, uh, you know, we, we, we would say, yes, we understand the, the nature of the kingdom. So that's true then. One more question. Do we live like the kingdom is our only treasure? Right, if we get it, if we really understand what a treasure it is, do we live like it? This is kind of an uncomfortable question, right? Do we live as if the kingdom of God is worth giving up anything and everything to possess? Um, what exactly is the treasure? Well, um, that's a lot of what he says when it's uh, in the rest of the parable. The, the, uh, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Uh, he says, look, if you, if you get it, you're now given the responsibility of being a teacher of the kingdom. And you bring out of this treasure from both the old and the new. And the old is, is the old writings of the Old Testament, where it describes the nature and importance of this kingdom. But also you bring out and bring to the old uh, the new that Jesus is proclaiming, the hidden mysteries of the kingdom that Jesus is unfolding as he teaches. Right? Uh, and what are those treasures? Well, there are, they are many. Um, maybe the greatest one of all is the treasure of knowing that you are loved by God. Right? Uh, maybe at the root of every treasure is the hope that if I, if I get enough treasure, the right person would love me. If I'm successful enough, I would really be loved. What a treasure knowing that the God of the universe who made you loves you unconditionally. Not because you're beautiful or smart or successful, but because he made you. Right? Uh, there's the treasure of knowing Jesus. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Uh, Jesus is our King, and there's no treasure like Jesus to know him. And knowing doesn't just mean that I know about him. It means to be in a personal relationship with him. 
In the Greek, that word means communion and fellowship, an actual experience of Jesus in our life. That is an incredible treasure. Right? And many more, many more treasures. Um, so, so do we live as though the kingdom is a treasure of infinite value? Like when things are not going well and, and things are rough and things are hard and, and you're facing the reality that you're having to give up things, are you joyful or do you grumble? Well, if you grumble, it means you forgot the treasure, right? It means you forgot what you're giving it up for, okay? But if you know that treasure, you will say, I joyfully sacrifice these things because what I'm gaining in Christ is so much greater than my comfort or my convenience or the stuff I want that I I can't get. Right? Um, What what price are we actually willing to pay to live life in the kingdom? Right? If, if life in the kingdom is about relationship with Jesus, how much are we willing to sacrifice to set aside time, devoted time, to meet with Jesus in prayer and in fellowship and in worship? Well, how often I hear people say, oh, I'm just too busy to you know, meet with Jesus. I'm just too busy to have a quiet time. I'm too busy to worship him. Wow, where is your treasure? Right? Is it really a treasure? Obviously not. Obviously not. Um, what are we willing to give up? Uh, I'm a little reluctant to share this, but maybe I will anyway, and I'll just get myself in trouble. Uh, some of our kids at our children's homes were having issues with uh, phones, right, because they all have phones now, and the access to social media and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, part of it's controlling, learning them, uh, teaching them to keep, to be in control of their time and make wise choices. But at the root of it, what I see is the greatest treasure in their life is, is their phone, right? Social media, uh, whatever it is, right, that they get through that device has become infinitely more important than their relationship with Christ. Right? It's not just kids, right? It could be adults, right? Uh, is, is the kingdom really the greatest treasure in our life? that we joyfully make every sacrifice. We joyfully give up anything and everything because knowing Christ and being in his kingdom and under his rule is the greatest possession we have. Right? If that's not completely true in our life, which I'm sure it's not, it's not in my life, right? It's not, that's not completely true in my life. What's the problem? Well, I don't fully understand it yet, Right? I need to be like the scribe who brings out treasure from the old and the new. Right? Like I need to understand the kingdom. And the only way I'm going to really understand the full value and worth of the kingdom is to dig into God's word and discover what a treasure it is. Right? They we're spending no time in the old and new, uh, filtering out and, and gleaning and harvesting and understanding the, the wonder of this treasure we begin to take it for granted, right? We begin to grumble and complain because it's costing too much. It's too inconvenient, right? It's not that important to us anymore, right? Because we forgot. We have failed to understand its value. 
And Jesus would say, what is at risk here is coming to the end of the era, coming to the day of judgment and discovering that we weren't even in the kingdom. Right? That was a parable of the sower and the seed. Some of the seed fell among soil and it sprouted up and grew, but it was crowded out by thorns and thistles. Right? It was crowded out by the love of the world, the treasures of the world, and it never bore fruit. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we do acknowledge and confess that our understanding of your kingdom is woefully deficient. Because if we really understood who you were and what Jesus' rule over our life meant, meant, Lord, we we would probably be living very different lives. And we certainly would be more joyful about the suffering and hardship that comes into our life. Lord, help us to uh, be diligent about growing in our understanding of your kingdom, of the gospel of the kingdom, of the amazing work that you have done to show us your love and grace and mercy, and yes, to save us by grace but not just save us by dealing with our sin, but to save us by bringing us into a kingdom of joy and worth and um, fellowship and love and infinite treasures beyond what we can imagine. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have offered this treasure to us. And not only a treasure that we hoard for ourselves, but as we come to understand it, you called us to be like the scribe who brings out of that treasure the old and the new to others. Lord, help us to grow in it so that we can teach and disciple others to walk in this kingdom life and to experience its joy and its richness and fullness. And Lord, even now we come, and Lord, we want to worship you uh, with understanding. Worship you, you knowing that you are more valuable and more precious and more dear to us than anything. And out of that joy, we worship and celebrate you. Lord, help us do that now, we pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.